Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. As always, I am your host, Toby. Today is episode 19 of the Bubba and the Batflip Podcast. Bubba and I will discuss first base uh, for the upcoming 2020 season. And my goodness, it is another doozy. I know these podcasts are running a little bit long, but we are doing our best to cover the position and answer as many listener questions as possible and can't tell you all how much we appreciate uh, the response. We got 16 questions today about first base, 11 on the catcher preview, which 11 on the catcher preview, my goodness. But really excited uh, to have... um, you know, to be able to talk with Bubba through the first base position, which is a really interesting position, and how to tackle it this year in fantasy baseball drafts. The best place to reach me, as usual, is on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. Uh, best place to reach Bubba on Twitter is at BDNTrek. He is a great uh, follow on Twitter, and he is also a great host of his own podcast, Benched with Bubba. Uh, and he's been having some great guests recently. So definitely give Bubba a follow and listen uh, to his podcast if you haven't already. If you do like this podcast, the Batflip Crazy Fantasy Baseball Podcast, um, and you haven't already, please do uh, go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Always really, really appreciate it uh, when folks take the time to do that. Uh, if you do appreciate the content that I am creating. All right, let's hop right into the first base preview. Let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 19. Going to preview the first base position for you. The catchers went great last week. Thanks for the positive uh, responses, lots of fun there, a lot of great listener questions, and we got many more for you tonight. It's gonna be a fun-filled first base preview. You can find me on Twitter at BDentric and the Batflip portion above in the Batflip. You can find him on Twitter at Batflip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? We are doing great, Bubba. One more week closer to the fantasy baseball season beginning. Really, really exciting. And just on the listener questions. Our listeners are killing it. Last week, I think we answered 11 questions. This week, we got 16 questions. Um, So just helping us uh, create some hopefully solid content here. But uh, things are good. Continuing to do the Draft Champions Leagues and and having a really good time just uh, engaging with folks uh, in every platform imaginable. Yeah, there's tons of good stuff. You're doing the Draft Champions. I'm doing... Beat Bubba best balls on fan tracks. If people keep coming over there, they'll keep building new ones. So if you want to keep playing me in a best nice. ball format different than than NFPC, they'll keep building them. So if you guys want to play, it's like it's like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. So um, keep that coming. It's a lot of fun. It's good practice. I, I like it to get ready for the big dance. And you said it's one week closer to the fantasy season. You know, Toby, it's it's one week closer to you and I meeting in person again. Oh, like bark trap. It's right around the corner now. You're it's absolutely like, right. So like three, maybe four weeks at the most. We're, we're within a yeah. month. I know that much. Yeah, definitely. I think like four weekends. Yep. Um, February yeah, 8th. It's February going down. 8th. That's the showdown, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. We're in the rec room. We're going to be taking, we're going to be taking wagers um, on where we finish. Uh, Bubba and I, I think we finished pretty close. I, I was like 30. No, 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 no. I think you finished near the top, and I finished – I was lucky to finish in, like, the 
bottom third or middle of the pack if I was lucky. I'd have to double check. It, I uh, my pitching crushed me. It was it was close there for a little bit, I think. Though. Yes, for a little bit. Yes, yeah. yes, and then reality set in. Yes, then then you just dominated. No, but, no, no, uh, no, no. We both got, got dominated by uh, by Sammy and Joe. So yeah, Sammy repeats. It's ridiculous. Like I just wins everything. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I got a different game plan this year, so I'm excited to test cool. that out and uh, be cool. a lot of fun seeing everybody yet again. But let's double, get it. Double tap in the starting pitchers is what I hear. Uh, that's what I heard the cool kids are doing. <laughs> that's that's what I've heard. So quality starts league. You know how that goes. Quality starts. Yes, yes. But uh, let's get at it. First base preview. Like last week, we'll do the top 10 at the NFBC. Unlike catchers, obviously there's more than 10 first basemen. And catchers, be admitted, it's deeper than usual. But still, first baseman, we can legit talk about 20-plus guys. Thanks to the listener questions, we will talk about like almost 30-plus guys, it feels like. So that's why we kind of do this format. You guys bring the questions to get the important stuff outside of the top 10 taken care of. And we use the draft champions NFPC from uh, NFPC ADP from December 15th till now, obviously. So almost a full month in there. And going off at number one is Cody Bellinger. He's about the sixth pick overall right now, Toby. Uh, I've talked about it when we recap first base. This is one I got definitely wrong last year. I thought there was no way he could repeat. Well, he didn't repeat 25 homers. He hit 47. So, well, you know, I was kind of right there. He didn't hit 260. He hit 305. He won the <laughs> NL MVP. The dude just went banana lands. It's kind of like the debate is, is he the 2019 Bellinger or is he more than 2018? Steamer thinks he's uh, closer to 19. Let's put it that way, projecting him for 42 homers and a 287. What do you see with Bellinger? Because for me, I'll be, I'll be really honest. I like what he's doing. I buy into him now. But at the sixth pick, I know you who takes pitching will not have any Cody Bellinger. And myself, in those early picks, I don't see myself grabbing a Cody Bellinger. What say you on the uh, the Dodgers lefty? Yeah, you know, uh, so for Bellinger, I think the steamer projection looks really, uh, really good to me. Uh, he definitely made some sweeping changes uh, in 2019. So this wasn't, you know, there's there's certainly luck whenever you have a good season like he did last year, but ground ball percentage was down 8.5% in 2019 from 2018 to really elevating the ball, hitting the ball in the air a lot more, hence the 47 home runs that you mentioned. Um, the, the lower ground ball rate actually translated mostly into a higher line drive rate. Um, so that helped propel that average into the 300s, which, I mean, gosh, what a, what a, what a season he was able to put together. Mm-hmm. Um, line drive percentage is, does, is subject to a lot more variance, though. It's just a smaller sample size of line drives. It's the least frequently hit type of batted ball. And so, you know, the ground ball being ground ball rate being down a lot further is wonderful. Um, I think we may see a few more of those line drives turning into fly balls um, in the upcoming year, maybe a little bit of regression in that ground ball rate. Um, And so I expect the home runs to come down a little bit or the home runs uh, to um, uh, potentially go, I mean, not up from 47, but to stay high. Um, but I think the average will probably go down as that line drive rate just kind of naturally regresses. That's That would be my guess, which is why I like that 287. His contact rate was also up 6%, which is just a massive year-over-year year leap uh, in contact rate. And his hard hit rate was up 9%. One of the things that I loved in kind of digging deeper on him is his strikeout rate was really low. And it looks like way too low. But when you look mm-hmm. at his in-zone swing rate, 
He was hyper aggressive in the zone, like over 70% of the pitches inside the zone he swung at, and he was making a ton of contact. So I think that's why the K rate was so low. Again, I expect a little bit of regression there, but um, there's no reason to believe that we will see the 2018 Bellinger. Um, again, I think we're probably going to see somewhere in between uh, the two of them. So that's kind of where he's at. And then I have talked a long time right now. The last thing I'll say is just the last episode, I shared the dollar valuation of each player based on their steamer projection, where they were going at, at an ADP and what that pick was worth. Um, and so for Bellinger, it's a $30 season, the 287 batting average, 99 runs, 42 home runs, 115 RBI, and 12 stolen bases. But at an ADP of six, that's a $33 pick. So you're losing about $3 on that pick. I wouldn't worry about that. If you like Bellinger, the thing that I love about him is at first base, there's very little speed, and he provides that for you without hurting you in any of the other categories. And so you're always going to lose value on a pick like this. So I think I think he's a solid investment. I, I wouldn't have him at, at an ADP of six. Um, even if it, we were just talking offensive player, i put bets ahead of him. But I can see why people are so excited about Bellinger. That was a mouthful. How do you feel about Bellinger in 2020? Hey, don't apologize because we're here to listen to the deep dive that you give. And it's very, very good. And it's in depth for a reason. But um, I I do agree with Bellinger. The good thing is, is he's going to steal you, you know, possibly 15 plus bases. Um, It is pretty crazy. Like you mentioned all this. I I got his stat cast up, you know, like his zone contacts, his chase, all these things that were either in line or, you know, the zone contact improved 6%, like you said, but. His zone swing was up 3%. His chase was down by like less than 1%. So certain things really didn't budge a lot. Um, but you mentioned the strikeouts. The whiff percentage dropped almost six over 6%. Maybe not sustainable. We'll have to wait and see, especially if you're being that aggressive. You might start seeing a little more swing and miss. Um, I agree the strikeout rate dropping from 24 to 16%. It is tough to hold up. But then he also saw his walk rate improve 4%, which is outstanding. Uh, you hit, you mentioned his hard hit rate jumped up, but it was it – was, pretty similar to that 2017 hard hit rate when we kind of jumped onto the map. His barrel rate represented that. Everything was really, really solid there. And, you know, just what he can do as a, as a player, his BABIP was lower than usual last year, and he still produced a ridiculously good number. So I think he's going to be a great player. Like I said in, in the intro for, for Bellinger, I love belly bombs. I, I, I There's times I've tweeted about how I wish he was a giant. I, it sucks to be a Giants fan facing him because – you can't really hate him. There's nothing to hate about him except that he hits 47 home runs and usually like 12 of them against the Giants. But um, I just can't, like you said, bets I take over him. Trey Turner, I'd probably get in the debate to take over him. It's going to be really tough for me to do it, especially when the second guy we're about to talk about here, Freddie Freeman, the second first baseman off the board, he's going to pick 17. He's going about 11 picks later. Obviously, that's going to the second round now on these NFPCs. And – Obviously, Freddie's not hitting 47 bombs, but he hit 38. He hit 295. He gets you the runs, the RBIs. He steals you six bags. So you're down a few homers, but everything else is obviously not identical, but pretty close. You're saving 11 picks. I'm not saying I take Freeman over Bellinger, but for the price, I might take Freeman over Bellinger. What's your thoughts on Freddie Freeman? Well, Bubba, it's interesting you say that because the steamer's projection of 293 with 98 runs, 33 home runs, and 103 RBIs with six stolen bases for Freeman. That's a $25 season. 
uh, the ADP of 17 is about a $27 pick. So that's, you're losing $2 on that. So theoretically speaking, Freeman is a better value than Bellinger at where he's going. So you wouldn't nice. necessarily be wrong um, in doing that. Um, you know, I think unlike Bellinger, who has been somewhat erratic from year to year, obviously he's a young player, right? He's learning. Um, Freeman has been super consistent from year to year, obviously. The only thing that, that really changes on a year to year basis is the home runs. Um, that's the one area of slight concern I have for Freeman. And again, like with any player, there's going to be some sort of weakness unless you're, I don't know, Mike Trout, um, or Christian Yelich, but with, uh, Freeman, you know, his, his fly ball percentage is really low. And so he's much more reliant on, um, his home run per fly ball percentage being higher. Uh, I think it was over, it was at about like 24%. I want to say if my memory is serving me correctly right now. Um, last year, which is about, um, uh, I want to say like 5% higher than it, it usually is five plus percent higher than it usually is. And so, um, the fact that his, uh, ground ball rate, I believe went up a little bit. I have it in front of me now. Yeah. His ground ball rate up went up rate went up 2%. He is the one guy that consistently has a very high line drive rate. Um, so that's fine. Um, he, yeah, he was at 24% for his home run per fly ball rate. So, you know, and career, it's at 16.7%. Obviously, with the happy fumble, then I don't anticipate that's going to change as long as that sticks around. But he will be a little bit more susceptible to fluctuations in that, in that number of home runs, I think. And we've seen that, you know, throughout his, uh, his career. So I just think that that's part of having, um, you know, the lower fly ball rate than some of the other big boppers that play first base and other positions. But you're also getting that batting average, like you mentioned. So a very, very safe pick. Um, I only mentioned that just to say that there is some fluctuation between that, those home runs and whether he's going to return, you know, the, the 38 again, or the 33 or the high twenties, he's still going to be a really valuable for you guy for you in that lineup. It's a good point you make there. The reliability, the consistency. It's like, if you just, if someone wants a, like a two minute boredom fix, go to his either Fangrass or StatCast page and just look at his year after year of almost any stat, and it barely fluctuates for the most part. They're like almost boom, boom, boom within like percentage points, of each, like one or two percentage points of each other, which in the grand scheme of things with all the bats and pitches he sees, most of the time isn't that big of a deal. It's really easy, consistent he's been. In years past, the biggest thing with Freddie Freeman was his injuries. Like he got hit in the wrist and then little – but he still managed to put up – Freakishly good, consistent numbers, like you said. You know, in 2016, he hit 34 homers in 158 games. But then 17, he got hurt. And 117 hit 28. In 2018, he put 162 games, hit 23. Bouncy ball comes back, it's 38. Like you said, the biggest thing is, where does he fit into this mix? One thing he's going to do, he's going to hit you close to 300 almost every season. We've seen that for quite a while. He's going to drive in a boatload of runs. That offense is going to be very good with Acuna, Albies. Maybe Donaldson comes back. Lots to like there. It's 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 like I talk about with some other guys, and we might actually talk about them later in the podcast at this position and other ones. There's a lot of not sexy players. Like Acuna is a sexy player. Like he's fun. He's exciting. Freddie Freeman, like you got the like Cody Bellinger, you got the guy we're talking about next. They're fun. They're young. They're exciting. Freddie Freeman's just that not sexy. I'm going to go put up awesome numbers for your team, and you never have to worry about them in the lineup. So if you're going to go early at first base, I'm going Freddie over bellinger but like 
we said it's it's close it's nitpicky i honestly probably won't have either just because of where i'm going in those positions and drafts but it is very enticing uh the flashy sexy pick uh the third first baseman off the board at pick 32 so going about 15 picks almost a full round later than freddie freeman is pete alonzo big meat pete at 53 home runs last year rookie of the year just had a ridiculous season an absolutely banana season his stat cast is you know red in all the right places he did a lot of things right but I'm guessing what Toby's going to tell us, I'm guessing, there might be some things wrong. He's a big guy with a big swing. I'm not sold on Pete Alonzo. When I wrote up the first base primer three or four weeks ago, and there's going to be an updated rankings list coming out Friday, that I have Pete fourth or fifth. and there's a, That's more out of courtesy. I don't think I'm going to be paying the Pete Alonzo price. What are your thoughts on Pete Alonzo? Yeah, you know, I feel like we need some, like, bust music. You know, some like dramatic. He is my you know, bust. Like, I'm with you. you know, like stone cold glass shattering. Yeah, like something <laughs> to be like, guess what, Pete Alonzo fans? You're going to be disappointed with what we have to say. <laughs> um, I like I like big meat Pete the polar bear. I'm going to refer to him as that. That's uh, awesome. Moving forward. Uh, so big meat Pete the polar bear, his steamer projection is 252 with 98 runs, 44 home runs. 105 RBIs and two stolen bases. Uh, that that makes Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear a $17 player. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna lose it. Uh, that makes that makes him a $17 player. Oh, that's great. Oh, Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear. Okay, at an ADP of 32, that's a $22 pick. So that is a loss of five dollars. Uh, on Alonzo again he's higher up in the rankings and so the likelihood that you're going to lose some money on that pick is higher but that's pretty substantial Um, and I think what what Steamer is anticipating which I think any somewhat reasonable person would anticipate is that we're going to see some regression in Alonzo's numbers particularly the power Um, it's really hard to top his 2019 Um, if you look at Alex Chamberlain's uh, deserved barrel rate um, and actually, I just saw on Twitter that he is going to be releasing an updated uh, deserved barrel rate that with a, an R-square increased from 6.67 to 0.8, which for any analytics person is just unbelievable. Um, I imagine Alonzo once again will be among the, the higher um, guys. And, and when I spoke with Alex a while back, he had a really good comp of Aaron Judge. You know, Aaron Judge like came on the scene his rookie year and he just crushed everything. And it wasn't that he wasn't deserving of what he did in the sense that like he was crushing the ball, he was hitting it the ball for home runs or hitting the ball really, really hard a lot of the time. But it's just really hard to sustain those types of rates. Like if you have any type of uh, dip in performance throughout the season, it's hard to make up ground on that. Um, And so I anticipate that that's probably going to be the experience with Alonzo in his second season. One thing that stands out to me is he does have a relatively high ground ball percentage for an elite power hitter uh, at 40%. And I think that's probably why um, we also see him having a lower deserved barrel rate, just because it means that, um, you know, he, he didn't hit as many balls as somebody who would hit more at better launch angles, but he somehow found the sweet spot there uh, at a higher frequency than you might uh, otherwise anticipate. And so when you have the, the possibility of some regression in power um, and you have no average really 
um, and no stolen bases to contribute, I think it's really hard to um, it's really hard to reach the that type of value, you know, of an, at an ADP of 32. If you're not providing any average or stolen bases, you just need to be super elite. And I think that's the one thing that I would take away from uh, uh, Big Meat Pete, the Polar Bear's $17 valuation, is the fact that um, you know even with an awesome season of 44 home runs, 105 RBIs. Uh, 98 runs. It's only a $17 season because he's actually hurting you in batting average and in stolen bases, mm -hmm. just from a valuation standpoint. And so that's why I would just steer clear of the general profile of guys who are really big power hitters um, early on in drafts, uh, generally speaking, because these, some of these profiles are available later on. I mean, if we were to take a look at E5's projection, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, let's see, I can easily get it there. You know, he's projected for 35 home runs, 92 RBI, 81 runs, and a similar batting average at 246, but he's going like 160 picks later. And so I just, uh, much rather steer clear of, of big meat Pete in, in, in this particular situation. So that, that's pretty much in agreement with you. Yeah. That's where I feel on it. It's like you mentioned Edwin, uh, good old E5, and there's other guys like Luke Voigt could be a monster power guy. We're talking about him later with some questions. There's other positions with power guys you can wait on. Like you're, you're, you're drafting big meat Pete the polar bear to get all the home runs, but he might hurt you in other spots. You never know how consistent it's going to be. Uh, with this Mets offense is always a question mark. Like there's a lot of things going on there. So I, I'm not going there, especially when it gets really interesting at the position. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to start with this is funny because I tweeted yesterday when I made the outline mm. that Anthony Rizzo was number four. And this is the same dates I was using when I did the outline. Now he's tied for fourth. Technically, it's a three-way tie. It's I crazy, tweeted right? Out, I tweeted out how four through seven were all separated by like three picks. Like, and it's just the ever-changing world and the gaps between picks. Like Rizzo's gone 48th to 85th. There's such a wide array in this range. So I think when we finish these four, we should almost rank them ourselves to give the listeners an idea of how we see this grouping. Mm. But um, we'll start the way I have it on the outline. Anthony Rizzo's the tied for fourth, first baseman off the board at pick 66 right now. And, you know, when we talk about not flashy, consistent Freddie Freeman, well, maybe the not flashy Freddie Freeman is Anthony Rizzo. If you want to wait, you know, mm. Freeman going at pick 17, you can wait literally 50 picks and go get Anthony Rizzo. That's kind of how things are looking. Ground ball rates up, but the dude doesn't strike out. He's going to hit you 25 to 30 bombs. Good average. Good Cubs offense. Lots of ways to look at Anthony Rizzo. He was hurt a lot last year. Maybe he rebounds. It's it's a really interesting pick. Uh, you know, the other guys we'll talk about around him might be a little flashier again, similar to the Freeman story, but Rizzo does it time and time again. How do you evaluate Anthony Rizzo going into 2020? Yeah, I mean, Rizzo, I think you the way you described him is is right on. I mean, he's like a mini Freddie Freeman uh, with maybe a, a slightly less of a ceiling when it comes to his power um, and to that, that batting average, but a very similar profile in the sense that he contributes at least a little bit in all five of the categories um, with, with some stolen bases despite being super slow. Um, him and him and big uh, big Pete meet big meat Pete the polar bear are probably similar in sprint <laughs> speed I would guess but Rizzo manages to add some stolen bases uh, to his profile 
And then the batting average is super solid just because of the, the elite contact rate that you mentioned. So with the steamer projection of 284, 97 runs, 32 home runs, 99 RBI, six stolen bases, that is a $22 valuation and ADP of 66. That's an $18 about pick. Um, so you're gaining $4 on him. So he looks like a pretty good value going where he's going. Just a note, when I share like the valuation of the pick, what I'm actually doing is just sharing the other player that's ranked that in my valuation. So the 66th ranked player. And the reason I'm doing that is just to think about it as like, a, uh, you know, you're, you, an either or, right? Like if you were to pick the person who is the 66th best player, according to my valuations, that would be an $18 player compared to just like giving a, giving a particular valuation to a pick number, you know, because it's, it's that pick. So that's where I'm getting those from just in case folks are, are interested. Um, and like you mentioned, just to reemphasize, there was an increase in ground ball rate and a decrease in contact rate last year for Rizzo, but I will say that they got better toward the end of the season. So the ground ball rate went down a little bit over his last 40 games. Um, and that contact rate also went uh, way up uh, over the last 40 games as well. Um, so whether it was just standard variance or he was fighting something, it seems like that may not be a consistent theme, just some variance um, from season to season. I am a little skeptical of the 32 home run projection that Steamer is putting up there. Um, he hasn't hit 32 home runs for um, a couple seasons now. He had 25 last year, 27 um, in 2019 with the increase, slight increase in the ground ball rate there. Um, and not too much of an increase with the hard hit rate. I just probably peg it more at that kind of 25 to 27 range. I'd feel a little bit better than that. So that'll drop him a couple dollars probably, but I still think the value proposition is pretty nice here at an ADP. Yep. Lots of value there. It'll be curious to see how he plays, you know, the back injury, maybe not bugging him this year, Ridley field, never know what takes place there. Schwarber maybe hitting behind him instead of in front of him. Who knows how that all plays out. But uh, another guy he's tied in the fourth first baseman with pick 66 is Cardinals Paul Goldschmidt. First off, Goldschmidt used to go right next to Freddie Freeman, so put that in the back of your mind right now. What what some say is a down season for Goldie last year because he hit 260 and we're used to 290-plus. He still hit 34 homers, drove in 97, scored 97. He's not stealing anymore for the second straight year, but um, he's still doing a lot of Goldschmidt things. There's a few other kind of red flags here and there, but also some things X stat wise that point to uh, he maybe got a little unlucky at times as well. Goldie's an interesting one to me because maybe it was getting traded from Arizona out of his comfort zone. Took him a little while because the second half he saw some improvements. This could be the year where you're going to regret not having him drafted around Freddie Freeman like the old days. Or, you know, we have Goldschmidt who's going to be 33 in September. Maybe he's starting to get old and hitting a wall. I don't know. What do you have on Goldschmidt? Yeah, um, he he's he's been pretty consistent um, year over year. The major difference that popped out um, uh, to me last year was, as you mentioned, the Babbitt being three oh three. Just based on his expected batting average being at two sixty two, it doesn't seem like that was any type of um, like you know he. It sounds it seems like he earned that three oh three batting average or three oh three Babbitt. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily be expecting um, uh, too much more, but it was a lot of the same kind of, this is, this is Paul Goldschmidt. 
I'm not sure whether, um, you know, it, it maybe it's the park factor difference is one of the major changes there. Um, just moving from not necessarily not a hitter, super hitter friendly park uh, with the D-backs, but the Cardinals are about the uh, one of the hardest stadiums uh, from a park factor perspective, especially for home runs. So it could just be that those fly balls that some of those fly balls he was hitting in Arizona, you know, weren't carrying out and, uh, and we're going for outs. It is a little surprising to see his home run per fly ball rate decrease um, when his barrel rate went up and he, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, again, maybe it's a park factor thing, but with the juice ball, I wouldn't necessarily anticipate that, but everything else looks pretty healthy. I mean, the O swing was up a little bit, but not anything out of control. Contact rate was steady. Ground ball rate was steady. Um, you know, hit a few more fly balls than line drives maybe than he usually does. I think the big thing with Goldschmidt is not to convince yourself that we're going to see um, any increase in stolen bases. Steamer has him at five. Mm-hmm. I think uh, three would be the max that I would project him at just because we've seen, you know, one, two, three, three consecutive years of declining stolen bases. So in batting in the middle of that lineup, I'm not really sure that they need him to steal bases. So I think overall, like I would expect more of the same. Uh, and I think the place where um, maybe you see a little bit of a jump in his value is if a few more of those uh, batted balls fall into play, that average shoots up again. Um, but I, I like him where he's going right now. It's a much better value proposition, I think, than uh, where he was going last year, right around Freeman, just because those stolen bases have have dried up and uh, and he's not the type of elite batting average guy he maybe used to be. Yeah, the stolen bases, that's what we used to love Goldie for. Long gone now, but uh, I think he's definitely a good value. It'll be interesting to see how he performs this year in year two in St. Louis, like you mentioned. Uh, power not the best for that ballpark, but still some interesting things to like there. Uh, the third guy tied as the fourth first baseman off the board at pick 66 is Matt Olson, personal favorite of mine, big Matt Olson fan this year. Um, I, I love everything we've seen in the last few years. He beat the uh, the hamate bone uh, tendencies that many have seen. He came back and just kept crushing baseballs. Barrel rates up. Uh, he's if you look at his stack ass page, it's red in all the right places, like ridiculous amounts. And if you want to talk bacon, actual bacon, I can talk all day on that. Uh, Four eighty nine is just banana lands. Um, this guy's very very good. Hits the living snot out of a baseball. I think forty plus home runs is coming. Like to me personally, I have Matt Olson my third first baseman off the board in front of Pete Alonzo, because I think he can do the same thing as Pete Alonzo a lot later in your draft. That might be me being foolish, but that's my thoughts there. What's your thoughts on Matt Olson? Oh man, Baba, this is, um, I want to apologize in advance for what I'm about to share with you. Um, it's okay. We can disagree on some things. <laughs> uh, 255 batting average steamer projects for Olson, 91 runs, 38 home runs. 103 RBI and one stolen base. That's good for a $16 season um, at an ADP of 66. Once again, that is a $18 pick. So you're losing $2 in value. Um, the one thing I'll say about Olsen is he's got, I oftentimes talk um, about like uh, the four-legged stool. So uh, there being, you know, plate discipline being one, contact rate being another, uh, quality of contact being another like how hard you hit the ball barrel percentage stuff like that and then uh, hitting the ball in the air now Olsen has solid plate discipline he's got that covered he's got low ground ball percentage consistently it actually went down by about four percent last year and then like you mentioned I mean he hits the snot out of the ball 
elite hard contact. The one piece that he hasn't solved yet, which is not necessarily a surprise given kind of his profile, is just the contact rate. So there's major fluctuation even within the year in his contact rate. Um, and so you saw that towards the end of last year. It actually cratered a little bit um, toward uh, the end of last year. Um, so I think that's really the major piece is the power is going to be there. We know he's not going to steal bases. Um, so a lot of his value depends on whether he ends up closer to like a 270, which I think is kind of the higher range of his outcomes, or the 240, you know, which is the lower range of his outcomes. Steamer has him right in the middle there at 255. But it is, once again, like a, a very power-heavy profile without the batting average and the stolen bases. And so for that reason, I don't think I'll be targeting Olsen um, at this point in time. I think like where he was going last year around pick like 120 or something like that um, was, uh, was a better value, at least before he got injured. I think he's awesome. Like He just he crushes the ball, and I would not be surprised if he led the AL in home runs. But just from like a projection standpoint and what we're likely to see, um, you know, I'm, I would, I would, yeah, I, 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 I don't love him where he's going. Right <laughs> totally fine. We are allowed to disagree on certain things. All right. I, okay. I, I'm a big Matt Olson fan. I'm not drafting him for steals. I guess the reason he falls into a lot of my teams is I grab my steals early. I've been super aggressive on certain guys. So now I just get Matt Olson to thump all over the lineup. Mm-hmm. That, that, it kind of fits my teams that way. It's, that's the mindset I have going into it. Um, I mentioned with Rizzo, he's going from 48th to 85th. Goldie's going anywhere from 54th to 77th. And Olsen, 53rd to 78th. So all these guys are going like 20 to 30 picks apart. It's it's pretty wild, the variance in these three players. The fourth guy I'll include in this mix is the seventh first baseman off the board. And that's DJ LeMayhew at pick 69. He's going anywhere from 48th to 94. And um, he's got first base, third base, second base eligibility. Now, Toby, I'm assuming, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, I'm assuming that he's going this high this much because of his positional eligibility in draft champions. Is that a possible assumption there? Um, I, I think that's part of it. He definitely has a lot more value in draft champions because of the, uh, because of the positional flexibility. Um, my guess is probably like, there's always going to be somebody in a draft who buys what he did last year. And that's not to say we shouldn't buy what he did last year. I think everything, all of the metrics show that he was pretty much deserving of what he was able to accomplish last year. So I think it's a combination of people believing that. And then obviously having a guy in the, who's going to bat atop uh, the Yankees lineup is going to be um, you know, a valuable guy. He's going to score a ton of runs so long as he stays healthy. Um, and everything, you know, everything like looks, you know, really good. Um, the steamer projection has him at 285 with a 93 runs, 19 home runs, 74 RBI, seven stolen bases. I think that's pretty low on him. I, I don't think that's buying into it. I think it's kind of incorporating what he did last year with what he's done previously. And I feel like he's a guy that was just made, the swing was just made for Yankee Stadium, even more so than. Um, Colorado, just because it has that short right field porch and he hits so many um, of his fly balls to, uh, to right field. Um, and so, you know, I, I think he's got a career batting average now that's above 300. I don't see a reason why, you know, he won't hit 300 next year. Um, and I think that little boost in OBP pushes that run number over 100. I think a low 20s for home runs. 
you know, an 80 RBI and those seven stolen bases, that makes him a pretty valuable player, even in traditional leagues with that, um, uh, with the, um, with the positional uh, flexibility, just because even in a regular league with the way rosters shuffle so much uh, this day and age, that can be really valuable. And he's also, um, you know, being eligible at both second base and first base is huge because I think those are two of the shallowest positions this year. But that steamer projection is only worth $12 compared to an $18 cost of that 69 ADP. So that's a, a net loss of $6 on the LeMahieu pick. But again, that assumes that you're buying into the steamer projection. I, I think I'd be higher on it. I can see why people go after him. He's a, it's, a, it's a nice little profile uh, to have, not too early in drafts. Um, and that batting average can be a really big, uh, really big boon um, for him. Just from like a skills perspective, everything was fairly um, consistent. I just would say the big changes were an increase in hard hit rate for him. The contact rate fell a little bit, uh, but still well above league average. So that batting average shouldn't and K rate shouldn't be hurt too much by that. Um, and it just seemed like a situation where he was probably given up um, a little bit of, uh, especially in the zone, his zone rate actually decreased a lot more than his overall contact rate which tells me that when pitches were in the zone, he was really trying to make better contact with them and maybe given up a little bit of contact there. Uh, but, you know, that those are really the only major changes. He hits a lot of balls on the ground ball, which limit limits, you know, the upside on that the home run total. But that's why not why you're getting, you're getting yeah, he, that, he, that he's a good He's a guy I just – I can't bring myself to draft, at least not at first base. I guess if you're going to other positions – and the position flexibility is great. I'm, I'm a fan of these things. But, um, you know, you see the increase in barrels, the increase in hard hit. Maybe that's sustainable. I'm not saying it's not. It could be bouncy ball related. He is uh, 31. to be 32 in July. Something to keep in mind there. But that increase from 15 home runs is a career high in 18 to 26 in Yankee Stadium. And I agree, the right field porch is perfect for him as an opposite field hitter. I get all that. But some of these increases are crazy. When you look at his steamer projection, it's still very good. But... I'm not saying they're identical, but this it just reminds me of, if you want to talk about another Yankees leadoff hitter of the past, it reminds me of something you might get end of season with Brett Gardner. Are we going out and getting Brett Gardner at the 66 pick? Probably not. So that's just my hardest point in trying to get him. I know the positions changed and all, all those factors uh, adjust things, but uh, I, I just can't see myself taking LeMahieu. And trust me, I've been doing rankings. I've been watching people talk about him. Smart people are drafting him. I get it. Smart people are taking him at pick 69 overall. I get it. I just can't find myself doing it. It's one of those guys where I've said in another podcast, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's just one guy. I don't, I'll plant my flag elsewhere. It won't be I'll, I, with, with DJ LeMayhew. Um, let's do the fun little exercise here. Matt Olson, Goldschmidt, Rizzo, LeMayhew. How do you rank the four? Um, I think I would rank them uh, Rizzo. Goldschmidt, LeMahieu Olsen, probably for me, wow. is where I would go. And again, it's not a slight on Matt Olsen because I think the power is absolutely incredible. It's just the profile that I'm looking for here. Like um, what I want to be doing early on in drafts is building up um, stolen bases and batting average because I know towards the back end of the draft, there are some stolen bases that are available, but it's going to cost you batting average. And a lot of the other profiles are going to cost you batting average. And so if I don't go into, you know, like at, if I, if in my top 100 picks, I don't have, you know, 
a, a batting average well above my goal, which is like 80th percentile, 268. So if not, I'm not in the 275 range when I hit pick 100. I know that I'm going to be in a decent amount of trouble or else I'm going to have to force myself into some guys later on with upside in batting average or better batting averages, but not necessarily contributing in some of the other categories. So again, like, you know, nothing against Matt Olson. I love him as a player. I think he's going to be really good. I think he's probably going to beat that steamer projection. But at this point in the draft, that's not the profile that I'm necessarily looking for. Um, and Goldie and Rizzo have just a little bit more or a lot more uh, upside in terms of batting average and then a little bit more stolen base. So I'm very sorry, Bubba. No, it's fine. I'm going to go Olsen. You? I'm going to go Olsen just because I've confessed my love for Matt Olsen, and I think he's going to have a monster year, uh, MVP quality season. Uh, Rizzo, number two with that consistency. Goldschmidt, I think I think you're gonna, he's going to have a good year, and the value will be there. But I think Rizzo over Goldie, and then LeMayu comes in fourth for me. I'm just very skeptical of, of what he has to offer. I think I can get those stats elsewhere, but I can't get the, the flexibility. So I get that. Well, I can get it two, two first basements later. But we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, the eighth first baseman off the board. This is a, a guy that, if you want to talk consistency, this mm-hmm. this is the man. He's going to pick seventy five overall, eighth first baseman, the one, the only Jose Abreu of the Chicago White Sox. They keep adding players there, so he can't really DH anymore because E five's there. But my goodness, you're going to get thirty over thirty homers, quality average, counting stats are going to be there. He does it time and time again. We, we keep talking consistency with Freeman and Rizzo. Abreu fits that mold of consistency, Toby. Uh, we've seen the hard hit rates go up. Just the quality of at-bats by Jose Abreu has been outstanding. And to me, he kind of had a, a quiet season last year that I think could have been even more powerful. We just didn't get as lucky as we could have gotten. He, he's if, if you wait on first baseman, and it's a, it's a weird position. We're going to talk depth at the position later on a listener question. It's deep in certain aspects, and it's not deep in others. If you happen to wait on Jose uh, and get Jose Abreu, I think you're just fine. What's your thoughts on Abreu? Yeah, I absolutely love Abreu. Of all, I think I've drafted like six teams so far, and I probably have Abreu on either three or four of them nice. um, right now. Um, 275 steamer batting average, 87 runs, 33 home runs, 101 RBI, three stolen bases. That's an $18 value. At an ADP of today, it was 70, 77, but 75 to 77, that's a $17 pick. You're talking about $1 value, uh, pretty far up in drafts. And I would go, I would say that there is upside very much so on the batting average um, and on the RBI. When you look at his batting average, you know, um, 290, 293, 304, 265, 284. And that 265 uh, was the one season where he was injured. And so I think that's the one that kind of stands out as the outlier. So I think you're really looking at a guy who's going to hit, you know, 280 plus, which would even boost that. Um, And then with the lineup that they're assembling over there in Chicago, uh, the runs in RBI could be um, in really good shape as well. And so it's kind of like, it it reminds me a little bit, to be honest with you, of um, Rizzo's profile. I would actually rank Abreu probably above all of those guys that are going ahead of them. Uh, all of them are there going ahead of him. Um, even Rizzo, I think Rizzo and him is the closest to me, but I'd rather have him than Goldie Olsen or DJ LeMahieu. I just think he's pretty solidly, um, you know, four category contributor. 
Um, and I, I just think it's a really nice profile, especially for a guy like me who, who maybe focuses a little bit less on home runs and RBI early on to be able to get batting average and to be able to get a ton of RBI from a guy. Not like you can really count on like, you know, RBIs from like, you know, like season to season, but 107, 101, 100, 102, 123. And he's going to be batting in the middle of that lineup. Let's see what, what does even roster resource even have as that, have as that lineup? It's a ridiculous lineup. I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So Moncada, good OBP, Anderson, not so good OBP, but you know, depending on whether he hits 335 again or not, but then Abreu <laughs> and then followed by Grandal and Carnacion, Jimenez. I mean, that run total for Abreu could, could go mm-hmm. sturgeon up. So I just, I just, I just love everything about him and where he's going. Um, you know, it's funny because like two years ago, I think before his injured season, he was going in like the low forties, I want to say. And he pretty much put up like his best season almost last year. And he still continues to fall back, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, up a little bit from last year, but, but he's not, he's not getting near that. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm going to stop talking now, but uh, really nice. And everything, all of the skills point towards him being good and actually some, some growth potentially for power because he has a above league average 46% ground ball rate. So if he ever were to hit the ball in the air a little bit more, the average might suffer, but he could really see a, a sharp spike in home runs. Yeah. Big and brave fan. I'm with you hundred percent. I think there's a lot to like there. The increased um, lineup around him is only going to make him better. He's just so consistent at the plate, such a great professional hitter. I'm, I'm a big Abreu fan. I'd probably have him over all those guys, but Olsen, but again, I'm going to keep saying my bias on Olsen, but I'm with you. He really resembles Rizzo quite a bit, and I'd probably put him ahead of Rizzo too. So Bray is quite, uh, a pretty nice value where he's going in drafts right now. Uh, the ninth first baseman off the board, first base, second base, third base eligibility. Pick 83 going anywhere from 68 to 99. So you're seeing a lot of this at first base. It's kind of a – People have their guy, and they're willing to kind of to fluctuate through the draft on them. But Max Muncy, a guy I've admitted that I've gotten wrong, maybe it's a Dodgers thing. I just don't like taking chances on Dodgers. But 35 home runs last year, back-to-back 35 home run seasons, 263, 251 average. So a little drop in average, but the runs are there. RBIs are there. The Dodgers should be just fine scoring runs again this year. The steamer projections you know, have you know fewer home runs, but the, the counting stats are good. The average drops even more on Steamer. So it's kind of a interesting projection from Steamer after what we've seen from Muncy the last two years. You look at his X stats page, there are some drops there as well compared to his awesome 2018 season. So maybe they're onto something. But what say you on Max Muncy as the ninth first baseman off the board? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to continue the the Dodger hateration here. Um, you know, his awesome. Steamer projection, 241. Uh, 81 runs, 29 home runs, 79 RBI, four stolen bases. That's only worth seven dollars to Steamer, uh, or that's in in the valuation system. Just because that batting average is really starting to hurt you at that point, he's not providing stolen bases, and nothing else is elite, right? Like when we think about the context of the league that we're in, 35 home runs is great. If you were to duplicate that, right, the 35 home runs, the 101 runs, the 98 RBI. Um, that would be, um, you know, that's still a good season, but 30 home runs isn't necessarily what it used to be, um, you know, if the ball continues to be what it is. And so I think that, um, you know, this the steamer may be a little bit conservative on him, him, but even still, there's a lot of room until he really 
um, you know, hits, hits the, the cost that you're paying for. I mean, we, we talked about Pete Alonzo earlier. His was just a $17 season at what he was doing. Um, and the ADP of 83, that's a $16 pick. So Muncie's losing $9. And even if you were to be able to, even if we were to hit the projection that they, that they have Alonzo at 252, 98 runs, 44 home runs, 105 RBI and two stolen bases, that's still just $1 worth of value at the spot where Muncie's going right now. Um, you know, this, the, this, the profile is pretty solid, pretty consistent, slight increase in ground ball rate last year over the previous year up 3%, uh, a slight bump in contact, but his hard hit rate was down a little bit, but still pretty, still very high. Um, you know, it's just not one of those profiles that generates a ton of value. And I'll give you, I'll ask you a question. Who would you rather have at an ADP of 80 or who would you rather have Max Muncy at 83 or Josh Donaldson at 105? Right. I'll take Josh Donaldson all day. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just, I, I, I think as drafts get closer, I think you'll likely see those two switch places where Donaldson will be going right around this spot, like 80 ADP. And I think Muncy will fall back a, a little bit just because I think it's just not a profile that brings that much value. And once we get out of draft champions league with the emphasis on, on positional flexibility, while it's, while it's a nice thing to have, it's not valued as highly in regular. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting some steady, like um, online draft data. Cause that's when it, it kind of gets more in line with what we're talking to at least for the listeners season long, we're making changes throughout the year, fab stuff. You draft a little differently. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to breaking that all down. Cause Muncie's a guy, I've hated on him. He's he's done me wrong. I probably won't be taking him where he's going. Let's put it that way. If he was dropping down, because like we're going to talk about the next guy, and then you know Trey Mancini, Reese Hoskins, those are two guys I like a lot. I'll, I'll take after Max Muncie and so on and so forth. Sure, I don't get the the position flexibility, but I get some some offensive numbers. I'm a big big fan on that. I believe in a lot more than Max Muncie. So nothing against you Dodger fans, but uh, Max is not mm. the guy for me. Hey, we were nice to Will Smith in the last podcast. So yes, and we'll be nice to some others like Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller. We we'll nice to them, mm-hmm. I think maybe. Eventually, um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's a long ways away. Starting pitcher is a long ways away. Um, let's talk about the tenth first baseman off the board. Wrap up our top ten here. He's going to pick ninety, so about uh, seven picks after Muncie. I'd probably rather take this guy than Max Muncie. That's Josh Bell who had just a monstrous first half last year, then disappeared, showed a couple highlights in the second half, but really kind of coasted into the the end of the season. Finished with a 270 on average, on a, only a 288 BABIP, which is quite interesting to, to, to keep in mind for a guy that hits the ball as hard as he does. It shows you that there's not a lot of ground ball in a guy. Well, there's way more than I thought, actually. 44% ground ball rate. You'd think he'd have a higher BABIP. So that's something to keep an eye on on going forward 37 homers steamers got him protected for 29 this is a guy that's uh people are all in on or they're not i've seen it wasn't the pitcher list it was a maybe ba- uh base or prospect 1500 or whatever they did a um a first year dynasty mock or something and josh bell was one of the first first basements taken that uh, off the board and i was very shocked i know he's young but i, I i'm confused on that one but what's your look on a redraft league I love the outlook on Josh Bell, but it's a lot of question marks for me. Yeah, um, on uh, on Bell, so Steamer projects a 274 batting average, 83 runs, 29 home runs, 
95 RBI, two stolen bases. That's a $15 value. Um, and at an ADP of 90, that's a $16 pick. So you're looking at about a, a $1 loss um, uh, on on Bell at this particular position. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, it's just, it's so hard with a guy like Bell who really just reinvents himself um, from one season to the next. Uh, there's definitely um, some support for uh, what he was able to do uh, just in terms of a 12% increase in um, his hard hit rate. Uh, so that's pretty incredible from 34% all the way up to 45%, um, which is pretty uh, pretty crazy. And he also saw a 4.5% dip in his ground ball rate. So not only was he hitting the ball harder, but he was hitting the ball um, in the air more. And I think one thing that we, or that, you know, I think is important in the analysis of Bell is the fact that he is unlike a lot of power hitters because he does make a lot of contact. So, you know, 76.5%. So right around league average in terms of his contact, um, his strikeout rate at 19 was a career high 19.2%, but still well below um, his career uh, average um, of 18.2%. And that makes a, a big difference because the volume uh, of balls that he puts into play is a lot harder than a lot of power guys. And so, you know, um, his home run per fly ball rate, yes, 23.9% is, is much higher than his career average um, of 17.2%, uh, although that includes uh, this past year. But um, it's not astronomically high. And when you consider the fact that his ground ball rate went down, um, his barrel rate uh, shot up, um, he was at uh, 8.6 barrels per plate appearance. So the guys he's around there are Freeman, Jimenez, Marcelo Zuna, Javi Baez, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon. I mean, some really good, you know, power hitting guys. And then he has a max exit below of 116.2 um, for his max exit below, which ranked him as, um, you know, 15th among guys with at least uh, uh, 50 balls in play. Like, so he really does have that, that ability to hit. Um, for power, it's just a matter, and even you know, like take a step further if he can lower that ground ball rate. So I I buy into it, um, but you know that's it's still a huge, it's still a huge increase. And so I think you know of a lot of the guys that we've covered, like Muncie, I'd much rather have Bell just because I think the batting average will be higher because of the contact rate. Um, you know, the other concern with Bell is just the lineup that he's going to be in. You know, we don't know how much the Pirates are going to are gonna sell. Um, we don't know who's going to be there. Like if they got rid of Starling Marte, um, some of the other pieces, um, you know, there. So, you know, again, like I don't mind Bell at this, this spot at all. I do think that, um, you know, a lot of what he did last year was legit. Uh, whether or not there's some regression coming, I think there probably is. But there also is the possibility for, for that and more if he can get that ground ball rate down and maintain that hard hit rate. So again, like I think there's a lot of different outcomes for him, um, and and I think Seamer's relatively solid. I might have it bumped a little bit. Yeah, it's it's an interesting position with with Josh Bell. Like you said, a lot of different outcomes. It's hard to really put your finger on on what to expect from Bell this year. But like you said, the increases in you know decreasing ground ball rate, increasing fly ball rate over the last few years, the hard hit rate, the barrel rates, they're all great. So if he keeps showing those changes in his overall hit tool. It's going to be hard to ignore another really good season. I think a big factor of something that you mentioned, what are the Pirates doing? Are they selling? Are they, well, what, what are they doing? 
and that that could be a factor as well. So uh, Bell's an interesting interesting case study. Um, let's go to our two sleepers outside ooh, of the ooh, top ten. Baba. I have some breaking news. Oh, no, Not player news related, but Alex Chamberlain has just updated his test leaderboard with his new expected barrel metric. And as expected, Pete Alonso drops from a 15.8% barrel percentage down to a 13.1% expected barrel rate. Now, the yeah. R squared that Alex shared um, on Twitter is 0.8, which makes it just as good as actual barrels um, at predicting future barrels. And so, um, again, it's not way the heck out there, but uh, a 3%, about 3% decrease in barrels would certainly have an impact on some of those, some of those power numbers. So, as we were anticipating, we, we do see uh, a little bit of uh, overperformance from uh, Pete Alonzo. Uh, in that barrel rate. So sorry about that. I just thought that that would be a, an appropriate interruption with some break. No, it is the big, big, it's, it's important. Big meat, Pete, the polar bear is uh, the bust. Oh man. Big, big meat, Pete, the polar bear. He's going to be, he's going to be cold come draft day. Very good. He's going to be hibernating come draft day. Where's that, where's that power gone? Big meat, Pete, the polar bear. (laughs) Is it still sleeping in the cave? Is it sleeping? Is it, is it Zian? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, we're going to catch so much crap if he goes off again this year. <laughs> but he's not going I to. Can't wait. So, no, he's not. The, guess the, what, the guys? Said so. all, all you people drafting him early in drafts, I wish you the best of luck. Yes, send me a – come play me in a beat Bubba best ball. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about some of our sleepers. Like, there's a ton. We're going to – we're going to hit on some more of these guys that go after the top 10 in the listener questions. So that's why I'm not going to focus on them right now. Uh, we'll kind of hit on them, hit and miss. But let's talk about some sleepers, you know, later in the draft. Um, what what would be your first sleeper? Yeah, the guy that I'm going to go with, I mean, I think first base is a super interesting position because I think there's, you know, uh, maybe like 12 guys that are like pretty solid. I feel pretty good about. And then I feel like there's a whole wide range of like, outcomes for every guy after that just because of like battles for plate appearance like luke Foyt, battle for plate appearance um you know other guys who like maybe used to be good and then lost plate appearances and then now may have access to plate appearances whatever it is i'm gonna go with one of those guys with my first one and he's a guy that i've drafted in like nearly every single one of my draft i may have him in five of my six or four four of my six and that's jesus aguilar um, he seems to have the first base job all to himself um, in Miami uh, this year. He's like the one power hitter that they have. Um, and, you know, last year he was going in the top 100 in drafts, you know, in 566 plate appearances with the Brewers. He put up a 274 batting average, 35 home runs, 80 runs, 108 RBI. Now, I'm not necessarily anticipating that. His steamer projection is 242 with 19 home runs, 50 runs, 56 RBI, and um, a 242 batting average. But that's only in 437 plate appearances. Um, it's, that gets you about 26 home runs and 70-70 uh, when you expand it out to 600 plate appearances. But what I really like about Aguilar, and the funny thing for him is, When you look at his really great season, last year his O-swing was about 6% less. So he was 
more patient at the plate last year. His contact rate went up 3%. His hard hit rate only went down, you know, 2%. Where he really lost some ground is an increase in his ground ball rate of 7% to 42%. And while that's not good, it's not necessarily atrocious, right? That's, you know, right about league average, slightly below league average. And so the quality of contact skills haven't changed that much. He's just not hitting the ball as much in the air, but the plate skills have actually improved. And so there isn't really a big change between who he was in 2018 versus who he is now. I think it's just a matter of some regression that hit him pretty hard last year. And at pick 361, it's all it's all value. And so if he gets 600 plate appearances, I could definitely see 30 home runs. I could definitely see 80 plus RBI, 70 runs. And that's going to be a really nice spot there as your kind of corner infielder uh, where you're probably buying him there. So Jesus Aguilar is, is kind of my number one um, uh, guy that I, that I like as a sleeper um, heading into next year. What about you? Who's your, who's your number one guy? Uh, mine is a guy that I, I pretty much put in my sleeper list every year and then teams cut him and he goes to a new team every year. It's CJ Crone. He's going to my pick 245. I know he's in Detroit. I can already hear the people now saying, Bubba, do not draft Detroit Tigers. I get it. I totally get it. But what CJ Crone does is just ridiculous. Each and every year we've seen his, um, since 2007 or 2016, his barrel rate increases, his hard hit rate increased all the way up to 45% last year. His striker rate dropped over 4% last year in Minnesota, which I thought was outstanding. His X stats were all, he, he underperformed his X stats. Some things to, you know, hopefully change. Ground ball rate at 40, almost 43%, and a fly ball rate at 24%. If we can kind of change those a little bit, that would be great. Pulling the ball 38% of the time. To be successful in Detroit, you have to pull the ball. When you get your barrels, you get your fly balls, you have to pull the baseball. That's plain and simple. It's proven time and time again. But those are the little things I think can be very solid. Steamer's projections, even with him in Detroit, have him at 28 home runs at 261 average. These are things that I like um, at, at pick 245 because I think that's kind of a – floor is not the right word, but I, I think there's big things for him. Detroit doesn't help, obviously. The part that it does help, which we didn't see in Minnesota or other places, is it's his job. There's no one taking the job from him. He should play – he played 125 games last year for Minnesota. He played 140 games for the Rays in 2018. There's no reason he can't play over 150 games. Steamer's projections for 126 games for 28 homers and a 261 average. I, I see C.J. Crone playing a ton of baseball there, hitting over 30 home runs, and I pick 245. He's a guy that just people don't draft anymore. They kind of look at teams not wanting him, and he no one wants him. I don't know. Maybe that's not it, but I, maybe I'm overlooking at it. But I'm a big C.J. Crone fan. He's a guy that I like getting later in drafts. If I need a corner infielder, hopefully not my starting first baseman. Hopefully by then I have one. But corner infielder, I don't mind at all. Who's your next guy? Um, love the Chrome pick. Absolutely love the Chrome pick. Um, so my next guy is another guy going super late in drafts, although he will move up, and that's Eric Thames. Um, and I, you know, I generally play fifteen team leagues, so uh, you know most of the data that I share is with that in mind. But um, Thames is just a guy who continue like he keeps on falling further and further back in drafts, but the profile remains largely intact. Um, his O swing was actually down uh, last year compared to the year before. 
you know, right around league average at 30.9%. His contact was what rate was up 2%. He strikes out a bunch, but his hard hit rate is close to 50% at 48.8%. He hits the ball in the air a ton at 33.3%. You know, so he's not going to give you batting average, but last year he had 25 home runs for the Brewers on the left side of that platoon, 67 runs, 61 RBI. And now he's going to a Nationals team where they also have a sneaky good um, hitters park there um, uh, for the Nationals. And so it's not as much of a downgrade in terms of the park factor as you would uh, maybe uh, maybe assume. And roster resource, and again, this is just roster resource, but roster resource has him plugged in uh, in the cleanup spot um, when, uh, when they are facing a right-handed pitcher. And the guys he has in front of him is Juan Soto, who's probably going to have an OBP of like 420 again, or like 400 to 420. Trey Turner is ahead of that, you know, OBP of around 350. And then Adam Eaton is an OBP machine as well. And so when he is in the lineup, he should have plenty of opportunities uh, to drive guys in. Uh, the skill set isn't declining, but the price is. So he's another guy as a corner infielder. I would love to have maybe Jesus Aguilar and Eric Thames, which I do in like probably four of my six leagues to kind of rotate in and out based on who the, who the matchups are. Um, with Aguilar getting you know, full-time plate appearances when Thames is in you know, facing all righties on a weekend or three out of four uh, during the week, you know, just kind of mixing and matching them, I think is a really nice way to tackle that position. Yeah, Thames is some really good late-round power. Curious on the playing time, but at that price tag, hard to pass up on that. Uh, my second guy is Justin Smoke, pick 400. Love it. Uh, another guy with playing time can be interesting because right now he should be the guy, but they have Ryan Healy there. Ryan Braun might be playing some first base, which would make sense for the Brewers. But for the most part, heavy side of a platoon with Justin Smoke. Last year in 121 games for the Blue Jays, we saw 22 home runs. That's 22 or more homers in three straight seasons with the Blue Jays. Uh, only a 208 average last year, which was crazy. Because if you look at his X stats and everything, he should his X batting average is 250. So he was one of the biggest gaps. It's a .042 gap in batting average and expected batting average. Uh, his X stats just were all over, like were he he underperformed in a big big way. That's the best way I can put it. Barrel rate up to 11 percent, hard hit rate at 40 percent. We saw the strikeout rate drop 5 percent, walk rate increase. When you look at his chase. Uh, chase percentages dropped almost 3%. His chase contact dropped 5%. Like, there's a lot of good things that, that he did last year, just somehow didn't correlate to batting average. But the other thing I love about Justice Smoke, besides the power, which will play really well in Miller Park, and maybe he gets more playing time, which would be awesome, is he's an OBB monster. Even with a 208 average last year, a 223 Babbitt last year, he had a 342 on base percentage. He's had a 350, 355 the previous two seasons. If you look at Steamer, just 110 games projected for 24 homers, a 239 average, and a 349 OBP. Uh, like for, for the Barf League, for instance, or other OBP type leads, Justin Smoke is a killer. And if he could actually, you know, like I said, Steamer's got him 110 games, but 121 last year. If somehow he can sneak into like 140 baseball games, Justin Smoke could pick 400 to me is going to be quite the steal. Playing time is a massive question, but. I think there's a lot to like with Justin Smoke in Milwaukee, a great environment to, for him to crush in. The lineup's not as flashy as it's been in the past, but still very good with Braun and Yellick and, and, and others, Navarra, Narvaez and some others. He'll have plenty of opportunities to be a part of some runs there. 
and the power's legit. So smoke at 400 is a late round target of mine. Awesome. Um, I love that one too. We share the same bus, so I'll let you take the floor on this one. Oh man. Oh, big meat Pete the polar bear is our bust at first base for both both me and Bubba. Um, yep. I feel like we've we've been pretty exhaustive in, uh, <laughs> in our not our criticism of big meat Pete the polar bear because I actually like him as a player. I just think you know him at an ADP of thirty two. I think it's so 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 hard for him to mm-hmm. um, to reach that value. Um, you know, even if he repeats what he did last year again, like, you know, he might get there. Um, and so, uh, I, I would just steer clear from a, from a team construction standpoint. I just don't think that that's the move right here from, a from virtually every standpoint, I think he's a pretty poor pick here. And if you do love the profile, then like you mentioned, you know, get a Matt Olson, uh, 30 plus picks later, who has a pretty similar profile. And, and if not more power, um, you know, a lot of power. Yeah, or get an E5 like you mentioned as well. There's there's tons of ways to go about it in the power. Don't draft him just for power that early. That early in the draft, like I, I never say you have to get all five categories because like early on you get J.D. Martinez, you're getting four out of five. But Alonzo's going to – he's going to get you like three out of five, maybe two and a half out of five, and that's going to set you back in the long run. So you got to really – let that one sink in that early in the draft. Um, who are your top first base targets on draft day? Obviously, there can be a ton, but who are your top ones? Yeah, um, my top first base targets, um, as I mentioned before, I have Jose Abreu um, in like three or four of my six drafts so far. I just love the value. I think if he's healthy, he's going he's gonna to get there, and he's going to help you in some categories that maybe like from a um, – uh, you know, we oftentimes talk about like uh, position scarcity, which really doesn't exist outside of catchers. I mean, there are positions that are deeper, uh, but not to the point where you're necessarily, um, you know, one's getting a ton more value outside of catcher. We also talk about category scarcity a lot. So like, you know, batting average and stolen bases being pretty scarce um, when it comes to categories. But I think within position scarcity is something that uh, I think a lot about. And so when you can get a first baseman who either stole, steals bases or provides you with a high batting average, I think that's really key. And when you can do that without giving up a premium pick, and I mean, pick 66 is a really important pick, but it's not necessarily, you know, one of those first foundational picks. Um, like if you pick pick Big Meat Pete, the, the polar bear with, mm-hmm. with pick number 32. So I really like Abreu there because of the batting average, and he contributes in all the areas that other first basemen readily contribute in as well. I think Rizzo for the same reason. If they're both on the board, I'm probably leaning Abreu, um, but I could see going Rizzo or Abreu right here. Um, you know, and my valuations actually like Rizzo a little bit more, but it's just I'm not sure the power is is what the projection seems. A guy that I'm really warming up to. And I mean, really warming up to, it might be a guy that I have a lot of, and this may be controversial, but <laughs> is Yuli Gurriel. I without really, the, without the drum, without the, the trash can banging, without the trash can banging. I, I know there's the trash can banging and all that stuff. I just, <laughs> I know. when you, when you look at how they performed at home versus the road, they actually did better on the road. 
um, a, lot of their, a lot of their guys. And so I don't necessarily buy into that changing anything, um, you know, uh, dramatically. Um, so, but uh, what I'm just going to get his uh, steamer projection up here really quickly. But so uh, Yuli Gurriel's steamer projection is a 289 batting average, 24 home runs, 81 runs, 93 RBI, and five stolen bases. And when I think about it more, he's an ADP of 123. And an ADP of 123, that's a $13 pick. He's a $19 value based on my valuation. So that's $6 worth of value you're getting uh, when you draft Guriel. And the thing that really like made me turn around is a lot of times we have biases against guys and Guriel is a guy that, um, you know, he's always been kind of a batting average only guy. And then he hit for power last year. And you're kind of like, ah, I don't really believe the 31 home runs. But I really wanted to draft Michael Brantley in the draft. And mm-hmm. he was gone. And Guriel was there. And I looked at my valuations. I was like, oh, Guriel has a pretty high valuation. And then I looked at the steamer projections. And I realized that I was essentially drafting Michael Brantley's projection at first base which for me is really incredible because you're getting that high batting average, which is really hard at first base. And you're also getting a handful of stolen bases, which he's gotten pretty consistently, which is great. He's going to be in a really good lineup batting behind, you know, Jose Altuve, George Springer, um, Alex Bregman. Uh, I mean, Carlos Correa, potentially there's going to be Jordan Alvarez, Jordan Alvarez, like, that is going to be a really, really good position for him to be in. He's elite defensively. He's going to be the starter at first base probably. Um, and so I believe in the batting average and the home runs, like they reflect an increase, a, a decrease in his ground ball rate, an increase in his hard hit rate. Um, and so I buy Guriel as his projection, and I think that's a super valuable projection at first base. So he's a guy that I think I'm going to be getting a lot more of when I don't get a Brayu or when I see a better value proposition at 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 a Brayu's pick. Um, so he's a guy. Um, I think Danny Santana because he gets the stolen bases, he's got a 2020 projection. I think if you can get stolen bases, so you can get a scarce um, category within the position. Um, I think that's really nice because I think how the draft set up a lot. And I talked about this on, I was on uh, the podcast, the draft champions podcast with um, uh, Zach and Mike Curland. Um, And, and I think what I like about Santana is oftentimes like we're limited in our stolen base guys to outfielders, second baseman, shortstop and middle infielders, because nobody's really getting us any stolen bases outside of that. So anytime you can get a little bit of stolen bases from any of the other positions, it lightens the load that you really have to focus those positions to get your stolen bases. Uh, but um, And so with Santana getting 20 from first base, it really opens you up to get guys at different positions that fit in different profiles and not necessarily be as pigeonholed. So I really like that as well. Um, I also like E5 um, a lot, like where he's going. I think he's great if you miss out on a bunch of um, – uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, all of the top first basemen and you're still looking for a first baseman. I don't mind having him because I do think that he's going to get, you know, 140 games uh, at DH for uh, the White Sox. And I think that will be incredibly valuable. You know, the skills aren't slipping that much. 
Uh, there's two other guys that I do like a decent amount, but I'm going to hold off on talking about them because I think you're going to talk about them. Some of the guys I like a lot, Matt Olson, obviously I've talked about him into oblivion. Uh, I agree with you 100% on Abreu, big fan of him. Uh, Reese Hoskins, I believe in the bounce back that is Reese Hoskins. That is a guy where, you, where he's getting drafted right now at pick 120 almost, 13 first baseman off the board first. Let's not forget how early he was going in drafts last year. And when you, when you pull up his steamer projection for 2020, we're back to a guy that's expected to hit 36 home runs, hit 242, OBP at 365, almost 100 runs in RBIs. Back to the Reese Hoskins we know and love. And he's in a great lineup. They added Didi Gregorius to it, Bryce Harper in year two with Philly, Segura, so many guys over there, uh, Rio Muto. I, I love Reese Hoskins at that value. I think he's extreme value at the position. Uh, another guy, more so in an OBP league, but it's also to do with his value as he's getting drafted, is Carlos Santana. He's going up at 148. I know we're going to talk about him on a listener question, I believe, but just to keep it simple, the dude's not going to hurt you in average. He's going to get you an o- like Last year, he had an OBP of 397, one of the best in all of baseball, projected on Steamer for an OBP of 375, hitting you close to 30 home runs and getting you all the counting stats you want there in Cleveland. Big fan of Carlos Santana as a value. I love E5. Trey Mancini is a guy I was all over last year, and he's still getting drafted at a pretty good value at pick 108. Um, Luke Voigt, I think, is power upside, but but uh, you mentioned earlier, questionable playing time. But for now, they're saying all the right things, like he's the guy. If he's the guy at pick 194, that's criminal. So if we like once spring hits, he might go up quite a bit. And then the last guy, I'm just going to mention him just because it makes people kind of vomit in their mouth talking about him. Mm. But I talked about him with Max Freeze on the last podcast, and he's the 21st first baseman off the board, and this is the least sexy pick you will ever see. But Eric Hosmer might be the most consistent ball player you could ever draft in a fantasy baseball league. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah, 265 last year, 263 steamer projection, 327 OBP, He's hit 20 or more home, or he's hit eight, let's see, 18 or more home runs every year since 2015. He's projected for 24, 76 runs, 82 ribbies, three stolen bases. He's just literally a plug and play guy that the floor is so consistent and there's always upside, especially in an ever improving Padres offense. I have mm. blasted Eric Cosmer on this podcast many times. I've been doing this for three or four years now. I have taken him and dragged him behind the car sometimes because I think. His ground, or it wasn't really much him as much as the Padres for giving him the money that I dragged behind the car because that was crazy. But what he does on the field, it's unmatchable. And he plays, he's played over 158 games consistently since 2015. The dude plays every day. He rakes. He's going to be in a great offense. It's not sexy, like I said. Like, for some godforsaken reason, there's 20 other first basemen off the board and you still don't have one. Hosmer's a great, like, oops, I screwed up. Let me take him. But last but not least, at a corner infield position where you can grab him in a draft at, like I said, 21st first baseman, pick 229, I really think you can make a lot worse picks at pick 229 that have a lot more volatility on your lineup. If you're into taking gambles because you love your floor on your team already, fine. But maybe you took some chances on a Trey Turner or you you bought into Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear. Eric Cosmer is a great insurance policy, and I just wanted to bring it up because I buried him before. I think there's a lot to like about him at his value this year. I buried him also before because he was going a lot higher in drafts back in the day. Mm-hmm. We're getting him now. 
Hosmer is a really good play in my opinion. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree there. I actually picked him up and as a corner infielder in a spot, he's just, you know, he is pretty, uh, pretty consistent and the floor is pretty, is pretty high for all the reasons you mentioned. So definitely believe that. And just uh, the two guys that I was going to mention were Hoskins and Mancini. Um, and I knew you were going to mention them, but Hoskins, the steamer projection you shared, that's a $16 valuation at a $14 cost where he's going. So that's $2 worth of value. Mancini's at a $12 um, valuation at a $14 cost. So he's costing you $2 at pick 108. I'd probably rather have Guriel, but I think for Mancini, there's nothing I don't really buy in in that, in that um, you know, ground ball rate went down. Um, which is really key for him. The contact rate is solid. I think the batting average is going to be higher than the steamer projection of like 272. Um, so, so love those two picks that you mentioned. Who would you rather have? Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear at pick 32 or uh, Reese Hoskins at pick 129 or wherever he's going? He's going to pick 119 and I'll take all the Reese Hoskins. <laughs> like I've, I, I looked into him maybe at least a month ago and I – while we're talking, I'll pull up my uh, rankings from that from earlier. Like I said, I'm going to update them, and they'll be up on the site on um, on Thursday or Friday. But Reese Hoskins, I was very aggressive on. I have uh, Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear at four. Like I said, out of courtesy, that's going to change. I'm going to just drop him down. I have Hoskins all the way up at eight. That's going to rise. Like I'm I'm a very big believer in Reese. Um, I could see just top of my head, Bellinger, Freeman, Olsen, Abreu. I might have Hoskins fifth. Mm. It, it's going to be close. Like Rizzo, there's an argument there because of the consistency. But what I think Reese can do outside of batting average, he's not going to steal bases. But all those other stats you're looking for, uh, I'm a big Reese Hoskins fan. First base, like I agree with everything you say about you know trying to get a little bit of everything at each position. I think we're – and you're you're much more successful in recent years than I am, so you're probably onto something there. But I, I seem to find like my stolen bases at other positions. There's guys I've had I have like circled at other positions that I'm I'm targeting heavily. Where at first base I can take my gambles on my guys that I think have such a high ceiling in power that can overshadow certain things. So maybe that's why I'm higher on the Olsons, the Hoskins of the world, uh, because I know they're not going to be great for stolen bases, but the like the ceiling of power, like Olsen legit could hit 45 plus homers. No one would be shocked if Reese Hoskins hit 40 home runs. Are they going to, who knows, who knows what baseball we're going to see. But at the same time, you know, Anthony Rizzo, we're pretty confident we're getting like 25 home runs. Like that's pretty much where we're at there. So I think I take my gamble on the power department at first base and I get my steals elsewhere. I think that's where we differentiate on this position a bit as of what I've kind of understood in today's discussion. All right. Um, well, that kind of gives a little bit of an idea of my philosophy at the position. What's your philosophy of drafting at first base? Um, so for me, I, I um, uh, what I am going to do uh, is uh, go after those guys that we talked about before. I mean, I think it's one of the positions that I'm going to prioritize just because, as I mentioned, like I think there's a solid 12 guys or so, and then everybody else, there's seems like there's a significant amount of variance be bet be between in uh, what their outcomes could be um, just because of playing time or, um, you know, them having performed at a certain level for the first time. Uh, so a lot of the guys we talked about, I'm, I'm probably not going to be targeting and have any shares. 
but I'll probably go after a Brayu um, at where he's going. And if I don't get a Brayu, then my my next uh, most likely is to try to uh, go after Yuli Gurriel um, later on. So kind of like a Brayu or Rizzo, if I miss there, go after Gurriel. If I miss there, I think it's you know maybe the Danny Santana route. I did that in in my most recent draft, um, going after the stolen bases because he should have access to playing time. Uh, with the lineup that they have currently, he'll get moved around a lot, playing the outfield some. So I feel pretty good um, right there. And then I think um, uh, I think um, you know if you really miss out like E five um, towards the back there, pushing him up the board a little bit, maybe Carlos Santana as well. Um, kind of those more stable profiles. So that's probably what I'm going to do. But it's definitely a position where I don't like my options late, and so I am trying to. Um, push some of the guys uh, up the draft or not up the draft board, but prioritizing first base unless I see some values um, popping up in other positions. All right, let's do some listener questions. I have 16 listener questions on my phone. We're going to kind of hop around here. So I apologize if I don't go straight off the outline, but um, some will be quick answers. Some will be a bit different, but these are the order they came in today. We'll start with Jake Schwartzwald at Schwartzwald J on Twitter. This one can be a quickie. Is there a better first baseman than Fast Freddy, Toby? Uh, yes, Cody <laughs> Bellinger. Yeah, I was about to say. Uh, I would, yeah. I would, I would rather have Cody Bellinger than Freddie Freeman um, this year. So as long as I don't, I don't see a reason why Bellinger wouldn't have first base eligibility, unless it's something like the position you played the most last year. Um, cause he does have first base eligibility in NFBC, which is 20 games. So he should have first base eligibility. He would be my, uh, uh, Bellinger would be my number one and my number two would be free. Yeah. Inside like outs with, with no restrictions, Bellinger is number one for sure. Since we talked earlier about draft price, Freddie Freeman would probably be my pick over Bellinger based on draft price, but that's pretty much the difference here. Picking at straws, but overall best one Bellinger on paper going into the year would be the one. Um, at Fantasy Baller on Twitter has a three-pack of questions here for us. First off, my answer is on this one simple. A full healthy season for Matt Olson. He's a top three first baseman going into 2020. Uh, yes, for me, that's a yes. But uh, that's asking a lot because the, the, the first base position is interesting. Um, if he has a full healthy season, is he a top three first baseman for you, Toby? Uh, my answer is no. Yes. Uh, I think it's just too difficult with a profile that has a pretty low ceiling and batting average and no stolen bases to be top three. So I would think that Bellinger and Freeman would definitely be there. And then I think there's a group of folks that we talked about who will be vying for, uh, you know, uh, first baseman number three in that scenario. Uh, Big Meat Pete the Polar Bear is not one of them. I would guess that like a Rizzo... Uh, a Brayu or even Hoskins. A, even a Guriel would be there. I think Hoskins suffers from the same problem that Olson does, just in, the, in the limits True. of valuation. So it really depends on how you look at it, right? Like yeah. for my valuations, I'm using an SGP method, standard gains points, and there's going to be a lot of value and emphasis placed on batting average and stolen bases as the most scarce, scarce categories. So in those valuations, it's just really tough for a power guy to get there. But in the same sense, like higher up in drafts, you're not necessarily looking 
for value as much. It's really hard to, to bring back value. The higher up you get in drafts, you're much more thinking about how you build your teams. And that's one of the reasons why I won't own a lot of these guys is because I'm really looking to build a foundation that's high in batting average and stolen bases. Uh, second question from at Fantasy Baller. Carlos Santana's price this year isn't too expensive after his 2019 career year. He's a 16 first baseman off the board, pick 148. I think it's a great value. I, I just talked about him a little bit ago, about a, a target of mine. It's going to help you in four out of five categories. He's not stealing, but should be very solid in that uh, Cleveland lineup. And again, I, I mentioned OBP a lot just because I know more people are starting to play OBP leagues and some guys stand out as differences uh, in an OBP league that might not be so much in, a, say, a batting average league. But Carlos Santana does an OBP is um, top tier, top tier stuff there. So he should skyrocket for me in an OBP league. What's your thoughts on his price tag this year? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think he's a he's a serious value. Um, you know, it's about a eleven or twelve dollar pick that he's that he's going at, and it's a fourteen. He's valued at fourteen dollars. Um, I think the key is just to have the right expectations for Santana. When you look at his batting averages, 259, 259, 229, and 281, it's kind of like if you blended the 281 and the 229, you'd get somewhere around 260 again. And I feel like that's, or like 255, I feel like that's the batting average you need to be expecting. But the overall profile, like you mentioned, is just so, so solid, especially in OBP. But like the contact rate is well below, well above league average, both in zone and outside the zone, or and overall, O swing is super low at twenty one point two percent. He did hit more ground balls last year, which is probably why you know the BABIP was higher than it usually is. He's normally like a pretty high, um, you know, both infield fly ball guy and fly ball guy, and he cut that his infield fly ball rate by in a half. And he hit 5% more ground balls. So you'd think that would impact his power, but it didn't really. I like the steamer projection. I think that's fairly reasonable for him. You know, I might soften the batting average a little bit at the 260 with 29 home runs, uh, 92 runs, 93 RBI. That's just an overall solid profile that you can't really lose at um, picking him where he's going right now. Um, There was also another question uh, from Steve Brunn who asked about um, Santana. He was the 32nd ranked hitter last year. Do either of us uh, see him being a top 75 hitter this year? Um, His current ADP is 147, the 16th first baseman off the board. And just going by my valuations, I don't see him being a top 75 hitter. He's currently the 107th most valuable hitter based on valuations, and I trust the steamer projection right here. So I say he won't be top 75, but he'll be, you know, he'll be a solid investment. What about you? Do you do you see him in that top 75 range? 75 is tough. I, I, that's really, really solid. I Would I be surprised? No. But I I'm, I believe the steamer, kind of like you're saying, I, I'd say closer to the hundreds. But it's one of those things, you know, going from 100 to 75 is probably just one hot week at the plate. It's, it's all it's going to take for him to get there. I, I think I, I think he'll be outside 75. But that's a, that's a good question because if he goes inside 75, he's an absolute steal where he's going right now. So something to keep in mind. If you believe in it, go grab yourself some Carlos Santana. Um, the last question from at Fantasy Baller. Uh, as shallow as the position is as a whole, who's your favorite first baseman after the top 10 or off the board? For me, it's Reese Hoskins. I told you how much of a fan I am. He's going 13th first baseman off the board, around pick 120. I, I got him as a top 10 for sure. If not, uh, I have him at eight right now. Probably move him up a bit with my updated rankings. I, I'm a big Reese fan. 
who's your top option after the top 10? Is it Guriel? It's Yuli. Yuli Guriel would be my would be my top pick outside of the top 10. Um, I do like at- I do like your Hoskins shout though. I like your Hoskins shout and um uh I also like um you know Danny Santana potentially and even 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 Trey Mancini I don't mind necessarily where he's going. I haven't drafted him yet. Uh, and I probably won't just because I'll take Guriel over him and they have fairly similar profiles, a little less power for Guriel, Guriel but uh, yeah, it would be Yuli. Uh, yeah. I wish we had Mancini's price tag of last year. That'd make me feel a lot better. Um, at Brad five, seven, eight, zero, two, four asks, do you think, do you think we have a monster season from Goldie in the future? For me, I think we have a very good familiar Goldie season is like monster MVP Probably not, but I think we see more. We saw the power last year. I said like the power stats were there, but I do. I, I believe the average does come up. So I think we get a uh, a familiar Goldie season is what I'm going to call it. Yeah, I think that's a, a great way to to say it. I don't think there's anything that shows he's going to get back to what he used to be. Um, but I do think that he can he can replicate what he did last year, if not improve. Uh, slightly on some of the numbers, especially the counting stats. At Andrew Armour 1, Josh Bell is real interesting. Uh, we talked about him as the 10th guy off the board. Do you think he's got a potential to be a top five first baseman this year? For me, I'm not there, but I kind of told you it's for me because there's so many question marks with him. You almost have to believe he is a top five guy or he's not. So for me, he's not top five. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I think he, I don't think he's top five, but I can definitely see it. And I think the reason that the, the, the path that he has to get there is the fact that he has a higher batting average than most first basemen because of that higher contact rate. Um, so I could see a scenario where, you know, once again, he hits around uh, 270 or so, uh, lowers that ground ball a little bit. Um, and replicates pretty much what he did last year. And I think that should be pretty close to a top five season for a first baseman. So I don't, I wouldn't bet on him doing it. I don't think he will do it, but I definitely think that it's not a crazy scenario, you know, maybe a 70th percentile uh, scenario, just making up a number out of nowhere, like something around that. I don't think, I think his ceiling is massive just because of what the, the underlying skills are, like you said. But, um, you know, I think, I think a better than average season could get him pretty close to top five. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can build on having a full season, not just a half a season. Because, God forbid, what, if he would have had a full season last year, what could have been? He would have been top five, let's put it that way. So it's definitely possible. Uh, at Forever Majors, who are some good first basemen to invest in for the future for a dynasty league besides the obvious answer of Alonzo? Well, for me, the obvious answer would be Mr. Vaughn out of Chicago. Andrew Vaughn out of Cal drafted with the White Sox. We might see as early as late this year. I'd imagine next season. That would be the main dynasty target for me. Any options from you? Um, Some guys uh, who come to mind. So Evan White uh, of the Mariners. He's an interesting guy just because we know that he's likely to start at first base for the Mariners this year. Um, his stats weren't like um, – they weren't jump. They weren't jumping off the uh, off the page in uh, in the minor leagues uh, for White. But if you dig a little deeper, he was he was batting on some of the in some of the hardest um, uh, the biggest pitchers parks in all of the minor leagues. So in Double A last year, he hit two ninety three with eighteen home runs. 
and two stolen bases with, you know, around league average walk and strikeout rates. But that was good for a WRC plus of 132 at double A. Um, and that's, you know, he's, he's 24 years old, so he's on the older side, but um, he seems pretty athletic. I can't remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about that his parents are, are super athletes and that there's a decent amount of speed there. So, um, you know, he, he could be, uh, he could be pretty solid there, a little bit of speed, a little bit of power combination. Um, so definitely worth a shot potentially. Um, I'm just scrolling through here. There's nobody that's really jumping out. I think your Vaughn shout is obviously great. Um, there's some like big boppers like Seth beer who may come yep. up to here. Um, who, you know, has a really good uh, hit tool um, from everything we've heard. But those are kind of the two guys that jump out at me. I guess like a, a kind of long shot target is um, a guy, uh, Edwin uh, Rios uh, of the Dodgers. He actually played a little bit last year. And I want to say um, he walks a ton. And then he also had an extremely high, he had the third highest uh, barrel rate among batters with at least 25 uh, batted balls um, at 12.5%. Again, tiny, tiny sample size, but really nice stat cast metrics overall. 65.4% hard hit um, from 95, that's 95 plus miles per hour. 50% sweet spot, 112.5 max exit below. So he's a guy that like towards the end of uh, like who, who's probably readily available in shallower um, keeper dynasty leagues who might be worth a shot, especially if he were to find himself getting traded um, out of the Dodgers for some somebody. Um, he could be a really interesting guy, but I'll stop talking now. Yeah, a couple other guys that I can think of that are close to the bigs. Ryan Mountcastle for Baltimore could get some run this year. And then... Mm. A guy that it, we never know what they're going to do in Arizona, but if Kevin Cron got every day at bats, that guy could hit the ball to the moon about 30 times for you. So could be another option on the table. Good call. Uh, an, interest, an interesting one from our buddy at Daniel Preface, deep prep on the Twitter. Should Luke Voigt and Mike Ford be separated by 400 picks? Luke Voigt is going to pick 194. Uh, Mike Ford is going to pick 545. So quite the gap there. You know, you look at roster resource, Luke Voigt's the projected first baseman, batting ninth. I've seen that thing switched to many times already this offseason. Mike Ford starting the year in the minors. Um, we saw Ford play well when Voigt was hurt. For me, maybe not that far apart, but at the same time, it's hard to draft Mike Ford if Luke Voigt's healthy. It, it, for me, it's Luke Voigt's job to lose. So that's where I sit there. Maybe they shouldn't be that far apart, but I'm just not going to be drafting Mike Ford if Voigt's healthy, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at their, um, if you look at their uh, Steamer 600 projections, Ford's is actually better uh, than Luke Voigt's. So Mike Ford's is 31 home runs, 82 runs, 88 RBI, 255 batting average in 600 plate appearances. And Steamer doesn't love, uh, doesn't love Voigt. Um, he is at, if I can find him, oh, there he is, 25 home runs, uh, 79, um, I lost him, 79 runs, 79 RBI, uh, one stolen base, 250 batting average. 
So Steamer actually likes Ford. So I would I would guess that Ford is probably the better quote unquote value, but I do think that Voight is going to get the first opportunity to play first base and we'll get a chance to find out whether, you know, who's the real guy, like the pre-injury Voight who was crushing last year and the year before, or the guy who really struggled in the second half um, of the season and, and, you know, and was injured. So it should be really interesting. I don't think Voight's terrible where he's going right now, but, um, you know, I, I do think that there might be, you know, some better options. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's tough to say just because one's in the minor leagues, like you mentioned, Bubba, and one looks appears to be the starter, but probably not that big of a difference. Maybe Ford should be pushed up. Maybe I should be drafting yep. Ford. But um, uh, I think Voight is solidly, you know, getting the first shot at first base. Yeah, then that's it. Like maybe Ford gets drafted higher, but Voight's, he's getting drafted where he is because he's a starter in the Yankees. That's what it is in reality. Like in a draft champions, draft and hold, best ball format. If you want to take a shot on Ford late, go for it. Because there's probably a time when either a Voight or a DH or something's going to be opened up and they want that power in the lineup. There's a chance it comes up. So I don't hate it in that respect. Uh, Dave Petroziello at dpeter12676. I'll let you have the floor on this one, Toby, because this is your guy. and You've talked about him uh, a bit earlier. Danny Santana is probably the most polarizing player for me this year. I guess he's asking for your take on Danny Santana, which you've given already. But if you want to do it one more time, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, he is very uh, polarizing. Um, and I think that it's just, it's a high variance. Uh, it's a high variance profile, right? Like he's a guy who came out of nowhere last year, put together an incredible season. Um I like to comp him like it's probably a terrible comp, but like to uh, Javi Baez, like it's just a similar profile in the fact that he's hyper aggressive. He swings at virtually everything. He makes a decent amount of contact, like, you know, the contact rate at 71.6. It's about uh, 5% below league average. The in zone is, you know, a few percent below league average. So he's making a decent amount of contact. But he saw a 9%, 9.5% increase um, in his hard hit rate. Uh, the BABIP was really high, but it's not that much higher than his career average of 336. Um, and then when you look at, um, uh, I think the StatCast data on him wasn't too bad either. Yeah, 6.1% barrels per plate appearance. So that's better than league average. 113.1 max exit velocity. Um, which is uh, which is pretty solid, especially for a guy of his stature. Um, let's let me just see where we are here with Santana. So ninety four point seven. So you know he hits the ball pretty hard in the air. One hundred twenty second out of six hundred and eighty four with at least twenty five batted ball events. So he's doing everything that he possibly could. He looks to have you know, with some of the trades that the Rangers have made access to pretty much full-time playing time. And so his is the type of profile that I like to take a chance on because yes, it's high variance and he could be bad and, you know, out of the team. Um, but at the same token, like there's a lot of different ways that he contributes uh, with the stolen bases, with the power, and even potentially with the batting average. And so if you take the medium projection of steamers 249 with 21 home runs, 19 stolen bases, 72 runs and, and 73 RBIs and 599 plate appearances. I mean, if you get that, you've got to be really happy with, with drafting him. And 
we've obviously seen that there's upside based on this year. No doubt about it. Uh, good buddy Bradley Newman at Philly Stars 27. Here's mixed things about the depth of first base. Some say it's fine. Some say it's ugly. What's our thoughts? Uh, for me, I think there's a lot of really good top-heavy talent, and there's a lot of sneaky good talent we've talked about, like picks 10 through 20. There's some deeper guys we talked about. One deep guy at pick 422 I didn't mention. It's not a homer pick, but Brandon Belt, it's an always if healthy thing, but bringing the fence in might give him five-plus more homers. Uh, there's, I, I think there's some very interesting depth, but I think there's a good, like you said, 12 to – I'll even go as far as saying maybe 15 first base options that you should at least get one good one. I wouldn't wait all day, Bradley. I'll, I'll say that much. But in your first 100 to 150 picks, I think you should get a pretty good first baseman if you're not sleeping on the position. What about you, Toby? Yeah, no, I think you you nailed it. I would say that there are 16 first basemen that I think are that I wouldn't mind having as my um, first baseman, all the way up to Edwin Encarnacion. If on the ADP you cut out Yasmani Grandal, I think there's other guys that for me are more like corner infield types. But in the worst case scenario, I think what you can do is um, is put together some pretty decent platoons. Uh, you know, you have a lot of guys like you have Hosmer, like you mentioned, who's kind of like a safety valve, but you could have a guy like Hosmer and combine him with like a Jock Peterson or a Daniel Murphy when he's in cores or with a CJ Crone and kind of play the matchups and have Hosmer in there when, you know, the matchups aren't looking great. Renato Nunez is a guy actually that we haven't talked about who uh, I really like as well, was putting things together, it seemed like, in the first half before some injuries. Um, and I know there's a lot of sharp guys in the industry who are on him as well. So I don't mind him um, as well, not as a, your first baseman, but just as a, as, a, as a deeper first base option. So I definitely think there's a way to cobble it together. But, you know, there's about it's about 16 players deep, which is fairly deep. But I think a lot of times with the guys – who are going and the profiles that are available. Sometimes I find myself kind of scampering a little bit and just not wanting like a Voight or a walk or a Christian Walker or somebody like that to necessarily be my, you know, my starting first baseman in a 15 team league. So I think it's, it's got a decent amount of depth, but I do think that it thins out, you know, uh, it thins out pretty quick. I think there's a lot more questions once you get outside the top, you know, set six or so six or seven. Yeah, a lot more volatility for sure. Uh, our buddy J-Dub, at J-Dub the Gamer. One word, sums it up real quick. Chavis, Michael Chavis is what he's talking about. Chavis. 22nd first baseman off the board, pick 234. Roster Resource has him batting sixth for the Boston Red Sox. And Steamer likes him, in theory, giving him 24 home runs, 67 runs, 74 RBIs, hitting 249. I think that's a pretty friendly situation there. He had 18 homers for the Bo Sox between AAA and the Bigs. 25 combined homers last year. Um, average was down compared to past years in the minors, but a lot of striking out last year. So I think getting used to major league pitching, but still a lot of power in that bat. So it's an interesting question here because going right behind Hosmer, a couple picks after Luke Voigt, similar potential profile to Luke Voigt. I'm not sold on Chavis just yet, but uh, I could see the gambling there if you feel like it. What about you, Toby? Yeah, Chavis is interesting, actually. And and thanks for the question, just because it got me to, to dive in a little bit more um, on him. Um, I think, 
you know, there's some interesting stuff going on because the K rate is, was just so high and the contact rate was so low throughout the season that it's kind of unsustainable if he keeps it up. But towards the end of the year, like at least in the zone, his contact rate was getting much higher. Um, you know, he was all the way up to the low 80s in his in-zone contact rate. But at the same time, his contact rate overall was falling all the way down to like 62%. And I think that's really the key. The batted ball quality had, has, been, um, has been pretty decent from Chavis. Uh, his barrel rate was 6.5%. Max exit below is a really nice 113 um, point eight. Um, but he was also chasing more outside the zone um, and his hard hit rate created towards the end. So he really seemed to be struggling. You know, the ground ball rate is higher than you'd like it to be. So he's one of these ones where it's like you can see things coming together for him and him being potentially a force. Um, but more than anything, I think you'd be buying him hitting sixth in that lineup and just getting, you know, relatively speaking, every day at bats in that lineup. He should do decently if he's able to hold a spot there but i definitely think the contact rate um raises uh, and just the overall profile and what he's done in the big leagues raises some major questions about whether he'll be able to do that uh at t mu 71 tyler asked outside of bellinger where else can we look for stolen bases i know we've hit on some of these guys uh freeman gives you a few but not much anymore rizzo will give you a few like lemayhew um, you mentioned Danny Santana. He keeps coming back to that for you. Big reason why you like him. Any other guys you're looking at at first base for stolen bases? Um, I think the only guys, so looking at the steamer projections, um, and what I would say to Tyler is just like one really great way just to figure this out is, is if you go to fan graphs and just look at the steamer projections overall, and then you can just sort by position and look at it bellinger is the only person who is currently um you know uh scheduled to have double digit stolen bases with 12 although danny santana he's listed as an outfielder um on fan graph, so he would be the tops at 19. so those are the two guys that have double digit stolen bases after that it's a lot of like five or six so freeman at six rizzo at six goldie at five uh, Belt at five, Guriel at five, um, so Christian Walker at five. So there isn't a ton of speed, and that's one of the reasons why I really do like, um, you know, Santana potentially as a first baseman. If I miss out on some other targets, it's another reason why I like Guriel, um, you know, and and Rizzo, uh, just because they've generally been able to provide about a handful of stolen bases, and that can go a decent decent way because if you can combine that those five stolen bases with maybe you know a handful of stolen bases at third base or or catcher or corner infield you know it really helps out a lot in your in your roster construction so those are some of the guys but if you ever have questions like that i, I you know please please do ask us because you know there's nothing we love more than answering some listener questions but also just go to the projections themselves and search through there you can even do you know steamer 600 and see what they say for stolen bases, because that might help you identify some guys who, um, you know, maybe don't have, currently have access to plate appearances, but in deeper leagues, you might want to, like a draft and hold, you might want to take a shot at. One depressing thing is that Will Myers in most leagues is no longer eligible at first base. So that takes one guy, um, you know, off the list. But who knows, you know, if he gets traded, fingers crossed uh, somewhere, or Hosmer gets injured, I, I don't wish that on anybody. So I won't say that we want that to happen. 
But if, if something if something opens up at first base in San Diego, or he gets traded and he ends up at first base, I think there could be a considerable amount of value in Will Myers as a first baseman. No doubt about it. Uh, at Joe underscore Barbuto B U T O asks, looks more and more like Castellanos is headed to Texas, and if so, we'll probably shift over to first base. In that scenario, where does he fall amongst your ranks? You know, look at Steamer, 27 homers, 275, 88, 90. Pretty solid numbers there. For me, I'm a big Castellanos fan. I think he'd like that ballpark a lot. I'd have him right around 10, right behind, maybe right outside the 10. He reminds me a lot of like a Trey Mancini, uh, Reese Hoskins with a little less power. Something in that range is where I would personally have him. What about you, Toby? Yeah, I'd probably push him up a little bit just because of the batting average at first base. So uh, the profile seems pretty similar to Jose Abreu. So I would probably have him, um, you know, like between Jose Abreu and Josh Bell, probably. So maybe in the ADP of 80. So pushing him up like 20 or 30 picks, probably. Uh, Just because, yeah, the batting average is good. You know, I... It's tough with the Rangers because you're not quite sure what to expect from that stadium. But my God, does it have some of the shortest power out? <laughs> like the dimensions are just kind of nuts. And it almost feels like the right center power, if I'm remembering the the um, dimensions correctly, like the right center is super short. I think it might be the shortest in baseball. And that might be a nice little spot for Castellanos there um, if he plugs in at first base. But um i haven't i haven't heard too many of those i haven't seen too many of those rumors but you may be more tapped in than i am um but you know that could be a, a really nice boon uh, boost for his um his value for sure uh jamie sayer full-time raps fan says why is mark donna being slept on as a potential first base stud yeah he's not first base eligible in fpc he is elsewhere i i know you uh sent him your info earlier He's going to pick 281 right behind guys like Renato Nunez, Nate Lowe um, as options. I'm a big Kona fan. I love his power. I think it's legit. Uh, he's just not a first baseman, but I think he's a good guy to target later in your drafts. The average kind of overperformed average last year. Everything else, power runs RBIs. I like him quite a bit. And a good OBP guy as well. So I wouldn't sleep on Mark Kana, but not first base eligible in NFPCs. Do you have anything on him, Toby? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think if he is first base eligible, just using the same exercise we did with Castellanos, I would probably have him after Encarnacion uh, before Voight. Um, I think the batting average, like you mentioned, Bubba, is the one area of concern. But man, did he hit the ball really, really hard and really well in the second half last year. I have a, I have a tweet that I've shared about it. Um, and so I think if he does, he's going to be batting like sixth, probably every day in that lineup with just, uh, a ton of, ton of really good hitters right in front of him. Chapman Olson, a rejuvenated crush Davis, Marcus Semyon. So he's going to hit with a lot of, a lot of guys on, uh, on base in front of him. And so I think the RBI totals, the counting stats overall, um, should be pretty, pretty strong for him so that's where i'd probably slot him if he was first base eligible you know maybe like between the 17th and 20th best uh first baseman yeah the next question from at randy garza 22 where does a healthy full season from voight rank uh you're just talking about steamer 600 got him at 25 homers 79 79 and 250 
you know, I think if he plays a full season, he's got a lot more power than that. That's one thing I'll disagree with Steamer on on that one. I think we we see the uh, guy before he got hurt last year is Voight. If he plays a full season to me, he's like a – he still doesn't go up too high for me. I'd probably have him 11th or 12th just because the batting average just sucks the life out of you at times. But if he's hitting 30-plus homers, he's driving in a ton of runs and scoring a good amount, he'll be a super productive player. But that's a big if for me. What about you? This is sorry, I, I missed at the beginning. But this is Luke, the Luke Voigt question. Yeah, where do, what health, is a healthy full healthy season full from Voigt? Okay. Yeah. I thought so, just uh, but I, I missed the name right at the beginning there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a full healthy season. I, I agree with you in the fact that I think Steamer's under projecting a little bit in that in that Yankees lineup. I think you know thirty home runs is is a definite possibility. I, I'd say maybe like a thirty, you know, eighty five, eighty five. 250-ish, you know, seems about right, which in first base is pretty solid. But yeah, he's going to be bat hitting towards the very end of that lineup, regardless of what happens, just because, you know, it's so deep. And so that doesn't, it shouldn't hurt him that much outside of the fact that he'll be getting less plate appearances than, you know, most other guys, um, because the lineup is so deep, he'll he'll still have good hitters in, in front of him. Um but yeah, so I think that's 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 about where I would I would have him at. And if I knew he was going to be healthy for the full season, yeah, I'd probably put him, you know, maybe in in front of Edwin, just because I think the, um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put him after Santana or around Santana. I think it's a pretty similar Carlos Santana. I think it's pretty similar profile. Uh, Dan Holmes at Dan and Danville. I think <laughs> another Pete Alonso question. Uh, Pete Alonso, odds of becoming Chris Davis 2.0. Will pitchers figure Alonso out, or are the underlying metrics there? Overperformed steamer, 877 OPS. Thanks. Um, first, I'll be simple. No, he's not going to be Chris Davis 2.0. Yes, he's going to be a bust and you know not be what he was last year, but to drop to Chris Davis 2.0 is a massive drop-off, and I don't believe that's happening. So what say you? Yeah, I mean, big meat, big big meat. Pete, the polar bear, is um, you know we haven't been saying nice things about him on this show, not because we don't like him as a player, but I think because of the value, like you mentioned, Bubba. There's a very big difference between Chris Davis and Pete Alonso, and that's the strikeout rate. Uh, yep. Chris Davis only once in his career had a strikeout rate under thirty percent. Alonso doesn't have a huge strikeout rate. He's at twenty six point four percent, which for a guy who hit fifty three home runs last year is a pretty that's really low um and that's one of the things that i think i was upset about myself last year is if you look throughout his minor league career he was not a big strikeout guy right like in his minor league career 17.9 percent 18.5 percent 14.9 percent 18.3 percent even at triple a you know in 2018 25.9 percent so never did he even get close to that 30 percent threshold and so i think it's you know he isn't at all in the same vein as as chris davis i think the profile is very different the plate discipline also like one of the things about chris davis is he just like it was like he either walked or struck out on like almost 50 percent of his plate appearances and you know alonzo doesn't walk as much so he's going to put more balls in play especially since his contact rate isn't poor so no i'm not worried about him becoming the same guy as as crush davis he's definitely a very a very different player all right, and our last listener question is from uh, Brent, Brent. Yeah, we're almost there. Brandon Waddell. Sorry, your your whole Twitter handle cut off on me here on the picture, but um, 
at the hum NRA something something something. Um, and it's weird. We have a lot of Pete Alonzo questions and a lot of Luke Voigt questions. Is Luke Voigt a viable first tier first baseman? Feels like he'd come close to a Braves numbers at a cheaper cost. I guess we kind of just answered that. Like if a full season, we you had him ahead of Santana. I had him maybe a little bit higher, but basically the same spot. That's not a first tier first baseman for me. I know some people are super high on him, but for me, he's not. I'm assuming you feel the same way. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I mean, the thing with um, Voigt is, you know, his career batting average is uh, 273. Um, and Jose Abreu has only hit, uh, his career batting average is 293. He's only hit lower than 273 once, and that was his injury plague season. And I say that because I think one of the things that's really important as you do drafts is not to over project players. Do not project players to do things that they have never done before. And that would just be like an overarching um, statement. Actually, uh, Jeff Zimmerman has done some research, I believe, like on what the percentage chance, like people can definitely do things that they've never done before. But in terms of projecting it, you're much more likely to be wrong than you are to be right. And so as we think about like what batting average you anticipate that people are going to have or whatever it is, always side with either the projections, unless you have a reason to disbelieve what they're saying, you know, because of the track record or whatever it is uh, that you see that you feel like the projections aren't seeing. That's totally cool. But um, don't like go projecting, you know, 20 points above what, you know, you're anticipating what he's going to, what he's going to, what he's going to get. Because I think that's a situation where, you know, you end up projecting your team to hit like 270 or 273. Um, but really like you're looking at a low 260s team. And that's the last thing you want to do is always be more conservative. It's better to be not satisfied with where you are in certain categories and to keep fighting to get, uh, you know, and, and to keep scrambling to be as good as you can in those categories than it is to overestimate and you'll find yourself in a major deficit in an area where you didn't expect it. So that's a little bit off tangent from Brandon's question, which is not uh, unlike a lot of my responses that I give <laughs> questions, but um, I would just say like, you know, when you're making those types of comps, like to Abreu, recognize that a ton of the value that Abreu brings is in that batting average and the consistency that he's provided year in and year out around that. So even if he projects as the same home runs and similar runs and similar RBI um, and similar stolen bases, that 20 to 30 points in batting average is a really big, um, is a really big difference. So that's that's the last thing I'll say. And there we go. That's the last thing we'll say on the first base preview for the 2020 season. Um, we covered a lot of ground on that one. That was a lot of fun, Toby. Uh, next week we have second base on tap, which should be interesting because I think it is the shallowest position. You hinted at that. I, was, I believe you actually said it. You hinted you said that earlier. You feel there's a lot of shallowness at second base. So that's going to be a fun one to, ch- to talk about. I know we'll talk about LeMahieu again and, Muncie will be there. There's going to be some similar names with the position flexibility, but still a lot of other avenues to take. And I bet some really good listener questions. So keep those coming uh, next week for that. But you can find Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Go check out his podcast. Lots of great stuff there. He's on the uh, the, champ- the Champagnes. I, I screwed it. Well, how do they actually say it? the NFBC Champagnes podcast? <laughs> so it's the Draft Champions podcast is what it's actually called but their twitter handle is draft champagne 
Yeah. That's what always gets me. Okay, my bad. So yeah, with with Zach and, and Curland over there. So go check that out with Toby. That was good stuff. I'm on Twitter at PDNTrick. Uh, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. It's been crushing it. Uh, did the, the catchers and the relief pitchers. Would appreciate that quite a bit if you guys go check that out. Uh, give a rating review on both the podcasts. Do it all. Do all the fun stuff. But until next time, this is Bubba and the Bat Flip 19, your fantasy baseball first base preview. Catch you guys next time. That is going to wrap us up for episode 110 of the Batflip Crazy Podcast and episode 19 of Bubba and the Batflip. Hope you enjoyed the first base preview. A really, really interesting uh, position, I think. There's a lot of different ways to go. It's not that deep, maybe as deep as it used to be, but there's still a lot of different profiles in there, uh, depending on your team construction and what you're looking for from the position or what you need in different drafts and definitely some late round flyers that we we covered that I think are are of interest in some of the deeper drafts. So, hope that was definitely helpful for you. Next week we will bringing you we will be bringing you the second base preview, which I think is the shallowest position in fantasy baseball this, this year. So that should be a lot of fun. Definitely hit us up with any questions or thoughts you have about the position and we will happily into incorporate that. Uh, into the show. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.